0: Okay, let me ask you just uh, remain seated uh, currently. I'd like to just do a little bit of review, but turn to Matthew chapter four, if you would, and then in just a moment, we'll stand to read our text today. Our series really is just starting in this study of Matthew's gospel, which gospel means good news. Well, in this day and time, we need some good news and God recorded it uh, for us in his word and so the series is, as we're looking at it, just giving it this title just to help us think. And I believe it's what Matthew's trying to get across to those readers, many of whom were Jewish, not all. I mean, there's a lot that were non-Jewish or Gentiles there. We're going to see it in the text even today. But he's trying to get across to them that Jesus fulfills every prophecy about the Messiah and he is the Christ. Christ means Messiah, the one who was anointed or promised by God to come uh, to, to deliver Israel as a nation, to set up a kingdom. Now, he's, they understood it. The Jews did at that time. They were hoping that would have been immediate, but he immediately came to die for our sins and to set us free in that way. So Matthew is helping them to see that they've trusted the right And so we've given the series title as this, Jesus is King. And I've not grown weary of saying he was not born to be king, but he was born king and already established uh, as king. And so the last time we were together, we were the first part of Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11 um, that followed his baptism. His baptism pictured what his life mission was. He was baptized. Uh, I know many of you know that, but Jesus was baptized. Uh, he was not baptized because he was a sinner who needed to repent of his sin and demonstrate the fact of that repentance by his baptism. But that's that's why we need to be baptized is Placing faith in Jesus and him alone and being baptized to show the old life has passed away, the new life has come uh, in Christ. That's not why he was, but his baptism pictured that he came on this earth to die and to be buried and that he would rise again. And that was his, the picture of his baptism, that he um, identified with sinners like us. Because all we like sheep have gone astray. But the Lord has laid on him, on Jesus, the iniquity of us all. And so he identified with sinners. That was his life mission to give his life for you and for me. Satan, from the very beginning of his ministry, endeavored to detour him, to distract him from that life mission. He did so by saying, you're hungry. You've been fasting for 40 days. Take these stones, turn them into bread so that you can eat. Um, He tried to get Jesus to use his power for selfish purposes. Then he took him up to the, Jesus said, no. In case you were wondering. (laughs) Use scripture to uh, resist Satan's temptation. Then he took him to the highest part of the temple that overlooked, as we would see, most likely the part, uh, place would have been over a ravine, about a 450-foot drop. And Satan said, "Well, okay, if you want to use Scripture, then, then cast yourself down. By the way, every suicidal thought is satanic. Amen. Cast thyself down. And, and the Scripture says he'll give his angels charge over thee, lest thou uh, dash thy foot upon a stone. So he twisted Scripture Misapplied Scripture, by the way, in every cult, Satan is still doing exactly the same thing. Twisting Scripture, misapplying Scripture. In every false belief, he's twisting Scripture. Trying to get Jesus to do the sensational. Again, the ideas distract him from his mission. Again, Jesus resisted temptation using the Bible, using the book of Deuteronomy. And thus, that's why tonight we're considering, if that's what Jesus did, that's what we need to do, to stand strong against temptation. Because you need to know this, Satan wants to keep you from your life mission and will tempt you just like he did Satan, the final temptation was perhaps the strongest. Satan uh, took Jesus to a a high mountain and he said, uh, basically, look at all the kingdoms of the world. I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. Satan said to Jesus, I will give you all the kingdoms of the world if you will fall down and worship me. What he was tempting Jesus to do was to accept the kingdoms of the world as they were, secular in nature, godless in nature, sinful in nature, as they were without any changes. See, Satan always wants you to compromise to get what you want. Well, I want to re-preach all this again, but we've got another message here today. But I felt like it's worth us being reminded of this. And another thing that Satan did there is he tried to get Jesus to accept all this without the cross, without the cross, have all the pleasure without the pain. And, and Satan is still repackaging that same temptation today. And again, what Jesus did is he used Scripture to resist and combat what Satan was doing, trying to turn him from his purpose. I, I, wanna, I just want to thank God before we move on here today that, say, that Jesus rather repeatedly resisted Satan's temptation Nothing stopped him from dying for you. Amen. Nothing stopped him from being buried. And nothing stopped him, praise his holy name, from rising again that you and I might call upon him to be our Savior. Nothing stopped him. No temptation was successful. He had an emphatic no because he was saying yes. To the Father's will. And and what we need to do is have an emphatic no to every temptation that comes our way because we got a greater yes. The Father's will. All right. That was the free message here for this morning. Let's stand in honor of God's word. Matthew in chapter four. We'll look at verses 12 through 17. Matthew chapter four and verse number 12 through 17 is our text here this morning. Now, when Jesus heard that John was cast into prison, he, Jesus, departed into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is upon the seacoast, in the borders of Zabulon and Nethalim. Zebulun and Naphtali, that's the reference there. Verse 14, that it might be fulfilled. How many times have we seen that from Matthew? (laughs) That it might be fulfilled. So evidently this has historic scriptural ties back to the Old Testament. It actually comes out of Isaiah chapter 9 verses 1 and 2. That would also be the reference where Isaiah says, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. It's the same context, the Messiah. All right, so Matthew says, this is done. He moved here. He set up headquarters here that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah, or Isaiah the prophet, saying the land of Zebulun and the land of Nephilim, by the way of the sea beyond Jordan. Notice this now, this must have some significance to you and I. Galilee of the Gentiles. Galilee of the Gentiles. That is where Jesus established his base of operations. Galilee of the Gentiles, the people, notice this verse, what a verse. The people which sat in darkness saw great light. The people which sat in darkness saw great light. The word great is mega or megas. Mega, we use it, don't we? That's mega. It's big. The idea here is bright. They saw a great light, a mega light. They saw a bright light. And to them which sat in the region and shadow of death, Light is sprung up. Huh. I'd like to read verse 17. It's really a hinge verse. It goes into what would be the next major section of Matthew's gospel. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Have you heard that message before? Well, it sounds, it seems like to me that we just, we listened to that message. The Baptist came preaching that message. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand, he said at the riverside, Jordan. And here's another preacher named Jesus saying, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Must be an important message. If it's echoed at least twice, but I submit to you that it's been echoed more than just twice. It's echoed all throughout the Old Testament and through the rest of the New Testament to this very day. The message of the Bible is repent. For the kingdom of God is at hand. I'm calling uh, the message here this morning the light is greater than our darkness. The light is greater than our darkness. You say it seems like a throwback to our theme last year you know, a light into the darkness. That's fine. Uh, the light is still greater than our darkness. Same problem, same solution. Same problem, same solution. Today, May God bless the reading of His Word. I appreciate you standing. <clears throat> this past week, my uh, brother-in-law, Brother Andrew Decker, <clears throat> pardon me, who has um, been here on numerous occasions and has um, um, been a part of the music and singing... <clears throat> He sent a, a song to the family, uh, family group chat, <coughs> that had been a blessing to him during that week, weeks prior to that. And um, he said this, seems, seems easy right now for me to get overwhelmed by seeing the open, accepted darkness in our world. How about you? It can be overwhelming, can it? And then he went on about the song and and said, Well, you'll just have to listen to it. <laughs> so it's really a blessing. I had never heard the song we we're there in, but I think it'd be a good one for one of the groups here if you want my recommendation. <laughs> it's called The Light. The Light by Barry Rowland and Deliverance. I don't I don't know this. This group, but good godly music seems like to me, but the song says this. We know we're living in perilous times. There's dangers around us of every kind. Men love darkness better than the light. But there's one among us who is still shining bright. The chorus says there's not enough darkness to put out the light. (laughs) He can't be extinguished by man's sinful night. No earthly shadow can cover God's Son. There's not enough power. It cannot be done. And then, (laughs) that's good. Uh, I wish I could sing. (laughs) Many have tried it, and many have failed. Herod thought he could, but to no avail. Then Pilate, though reluctant, thought he'd put Christ to an end. But three short days from Calvary, he was shining again. There's not enough darkness to put out the light. He can't be extinguished by man's sinful night. No earthly shadows can cover God's son. There's not enough power. It cannot be done. That's a blessing. Well, Brother Andrew said he'd uh, spent some time listening to the song with his hand up, going down the road. <laughs> Hopefully, one hand on the steering wheel. But uh, <laughs> well, we've got a lot of darkness that's flooded into our land. I was reminded that uh, President Ronald Reagan, uh, Ronald Reagan, um, often spoke of, didn't he? Many of you know where I'm going with this. Uh, the shining city on a hill. Now, that's all the way, in reference, all the way back to uh, early history in America. John Winthrop, in 1630, preached about this new country, that it would be a city set on a hill, And, and Ronald Reagan, and no doubt others, picked up on that terminology and said, one quote, America is a shining city on a hill whose beam light, Guides freedom-loving people everywhere. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. But I'm afraid the light is growing dim in America. It's flickering on and off. We have um, right outside of our house, uh, so our house is here and then our neighbors. And between us is a, a, a security light. It's really a, a nice one, a little bit decorative there in our Uh, neighborhood and, and the, you know, the light (coughs) um, for the last few weeks has been flickering on and off. Every time I think, all right, I'm going to email og it's back on. I'm like, well, okay, I'm not going to bother them. They've got probably still plenty to do since the ice storm, right? I mean, they, they really are inundated with that. So that's when it started going out. So I didn't bother about it, but then it's off and then it's on. It's off and it's on. It's off and it's on. So I'm going to eventually call them. Maybe tomorrow. <laughs> I'm afraid that's uh, much like many believers. It's on. It's off. The Christian light, the influence. It's on. They're in church. It's on. It's Monday morning. Boss called him in, chewed him out. Light went out in the hallway. You with me? It's on, it's off, it's on, it's off. Um, the darkness demands consistency from the light. We're in an interesting text here. It's, um, to be honest with you, as I read through it, I thought, well, maybe, because I, I don't, I don't want to, you know, necessarily be eight years in the book of Matthew. We easily could be. I have a preacher friend who I think was four years in the gospel of Matthew and maybe more. So I, it's very feasible to do that. and you'd have ample to preach. So I thought about, well, maybe just kind of hitting this section as we move on into the rest of the text and just finish out chapter four. But as I looked at it, I thought, wait a minute, there's just too much right here. The text says that, that a light was shown to people that sat in darkness. Did you see that? They sat in darkness. How is it that the light dispelled the darkness? If, if they were sitting in darkness... And it anticipates. That's the reason I thought about, well, let's just go ahead to verse 18 and following because it anticipates what's coming with James and John and Andrew and Peter coming to the light. And, and then the others, the multitudes that are there in Galilee, in that region of, of Galilee, how that they were sitting in darkness, but now there's this great light. So it anticipates that. But, but I began to ask myself the question, how is it then that Jesus dispelled the darkness? If they were sitting in darkness and now there's a great light, and if our country and in our lives and our families, well, by the way, not, not just here in America, but all around the world, there's a need for the light to shine. How then can the darkness, the spiritual darkness, be dispelled in our time? Uh, is there any hope today that the that the darkness could be pushed back by the light, or should we just give up? Or does this text offer us help? How do we get the light back? Do we storm the Capitol? How do we get the light back? Well, I, I tell you what let's do. Let's consider what Jesus did And what he did will help us know what to do. All right? Very simple, right? Let's see what he did, and that will help us know what to do. So there there is this darkness that was prevailing in Jesus' day and time. It'd be real easy just kind of read over verse 12 and not really pay good attention to what it's saying, but I think we need to pay attention to what it's saying. Look back at verse number 12, if you would, where it says, Now Jesus, when he heard that John was cast into prison, departed into Galilee. Listen, don't get in your mind that Jesus departed into Galilee out of fear because that happened to John. That's not why he departed to Galilee. All right, now, the fact that John was cast into prison tells us that there was something wicked going on because this was a Baptist put into prison. I mean, there's been a lot of Baptists going to prison, but... This was, he hadn't done anything wrong. What what had he done? What what landed him in prison? I'll tell you what landed him in prison. He preached. He preached that it was not right and it never would be right that Herod Antipas would have Herodias to be his wife. Because Herod had left his wife to marry Herodias and Herodias had left Philip, Antipas' brother, His sister-in-law, so they got together in this adulterous relationship. I mean, the royals were acting royally wrong. And John the Baptist shows up on the scene and says, essentially this, it does not matter how high you are in in society in terms of your your position. God does not have one standard for other people and a different standard for you. It's wrong that you would take your brother's wife. And he just called him out. He called him out. He named names. He named sin. He called sin, sin. And it landed him in the, in the prison. Why? Because Herodias got tired of his preaching. Now, Harriet, I think, would have let him just keep going and ignored him, but she could not. And, and, and she urged him, no doubt, to, to slam him up in the prison. And so there he is. He's locked up now in the prison. I'm just saying all that because it's like a national uh, situation that they were dealing with and everybody was talking about it in closed quarters. But John came right out and opened, opened and said it. It's a day of spiritual darkness. Spiritual darkness. So the Bible says then that following this, Jesus went into Galilee. Now, why does it say that he went into Galilee? It's again, it's not because he was afraid of Herod Antipas because actually Herod Antipas governed that region as well. So it wasn't like he's trying to get out of Judea to go to Galilee where he would be safe because that was in the same quarters there. So evidently there must be a different reason and purpose as to why John had his ministry predominantly in Judea in the, in the south and along the Jordan River. And Jesus went far north to the Sea of Galilee where there were all these cities that were there and people living in that region and he made his headquarters Capernaum. Capernaum would be on the northwest side of the Sea of Galilee. And on the east side, there'd be cities like Gadara and Tiberias and other cities that were there that were predominantly Gentile. How do we know it was predominantly Gentile? Well, the Bible says so. It says Galilee of the Gentiles. You see that? Galilee of the Gentiles. How else do we know that it was predominantly uh, Gentile? Well, in Mark chapter 5, when Jesus cast out the demons that were in this man of Gadara, this demoniac of Gadara, those, those uh, demonic beings, they went into the swine. They went into the pig. Well, pigs, Jews don't raise hogs. So it was predominantly a Gentile region that was there. Jesus set up his headquarters among the Gentiles. If, hang on, everybody still following me right here? If you were the Jewish Messiah, where would you set up your headquarters? You'd probably think about an address in Jerusalem. You'd probably think about Judea. You'd probably think about maybe setting it up in the temple. But no, our Savior went to a place that was very despised in Galilee. These Galileans. Can you hear the Jews now talking among themselves? These filthy Galileans, this mixed breed of people, these, this mixed race and, 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 and all that was going on in their time, in, infiltrated, influenced by, uh, by the Assyrians at one time and, and in, 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 uh, in, influenced by the Zidonians like Jezebel, and maybe they'd spit after they said her name, Jezebel and all the wickedness that was there of the Zidonians and, and all the people that lived in that region, just wicked people living up there. That's who's living up there. Yeah, and that's exactly where Jesus set up his base, where he planted his church. <laughs> How about that? He planted his church. I, I, I should have researched this. In fact, I intended to, but it came to me too late that this one individual that was a, a church planner, a missionary said, I want to set up a, a gospel preaching station at the gate of hell. Where else would you set it up? You, you want to take the light into the darkness. So here it is, this, this Galilee, it says beyond Jordan. And the idea probably from that is that as it was a major trade route, and as people were coming from the east, I'll pull the, the, the screen down now so you can see the map. Everybody seeing it? As, <laughs> People were coming from the east and going to the southwest, then they'd go right, right along the northern side of Galilee through Capernaum and, and down further into Israel. I mean, it was a major, a major trade route, and, and so it, was, it says beyond Jordan. The idea is probably that they were coming from the east beyond Jordan into Israel, and that's, that's where he set up his, his headquarters here was beyond Jordan in this area that was rather densely populated. Hang on, we're going somewhere with this, but you've got to get a little bit of history and a little bit of background to really appreciate appreciate the text. It it says here, Galilee of the Gentiles. Now, um, Josephus, who was a Jewish historian, living in that century of time, or around that century of time, I believe born around uh, 30 AD or so and lived about 100 uh, AD, then, then, then Josephus said that this area, which he lived in and worked in and knew that region fairly well, said this, said there was no less than 204 villages in this area, all of which had a population of at least, at least 15,000 people each. Now, I don't don't know just how accurate that is, but even if it's close to accurate, that's a bunch of people. 204 cities, villages, times 15,000. I added it up twice on my calculator to make sure that I was looking at it right. That's a bunch of people. And Jesus says, as I get started in the ministry... I'm not going to start in the southern part down in Judea, which had a population, but, but, I, but actually think about it. What would have happened had Jesus started his ministry down in Judea first? All the opposition that, would, that came his way years later would have been at the very first. How many messages would we have heard? How many people would have healed? He probably would have been crucified a lot sooner. So instead of starting there, he went north into a very highly densely, I mean, populated area known as Galilee. Why? Because he came to seek and to save that which was lost. He wanted to get his gospel out to as many people as could hear. And so I submit to you that today that Jesus was the master church planter. And church planters understand this. We've got to go where there's people. And Jesus went to the metropolitan areas of his time, but he didn't leave out the rural areas of his time. He went to the big cities and the little cities. He went to the big people and the little people. Why? Because he loves all people. And he went to these regions of Galilee and a population about the size maybe of Oklahoma in an in area of, of, of square mileage about the size of Oklahoma City. Just pressed in here a bunch of people, a bunch of them. densely populated Jews, yes, but also many Gentiles, obviously, living there. And so not only that, but but also this, as I mentioned earlier, that this was a major hub or a major city through which many people from many different backgrounds would pass through. In fact, uh, Charles Barclay said this, uh, or Barclay said this, William Barclay, my bad. (laughs) I knew he had, (laughs) not Charles (laughs) Barclay. Okay, keep going. All right. (laughs) Mercy. I don't think Charles Barclay said that. (laughs) William Barclay said this. Watch it. Judea is on the way to nowhere, but Galilee is on the way to everywhere. On the way to everywhere. Many races, many people. I mean, a multicultural center, a mixing pot of people, ideas of all kinds floating around, paganism of all kinds floating around, immorality of all kinds floating around, the Greek culture, the Roman culture, the Jewish culture. I mean, just all these races. You talk about racial tension. It was there. We're not facing anything new. It was there. And, and so there they were with all the racial tension. And here's what Jesus did. He started a church right in the middle of it all. It'd be like somebody going to the drug-infested areas of, of Philadelphia and starting a church and calling it Liberty Baptist Church. Because they need freedom from drugs and freedom from alcohol and and freedom from a promiscuous life and freedom to be who God made them to be. I wonder if anybody would be willing to do that. Well, a man that used to be a drunkard did that. A man that used to be on on drugs did that. His name's Burton Gates. And he planted a church right there in the heart of Philadelphia on the east side. And it's a rough area. I've been there. I've seen it. I've driven down the road and I've seen tents set out where homeless people are living. I've seen needles hanging out of people's arms just within 100 yards. Of the, of the church and, and his kids have had to be careful playing out there in the playground because of the needles that are out there. Hey, but that, what a great place to start a church. Amen. Needs to be some more men like Jesus who'd be willing to go and start a church in the Bronx. Amen. Start a church in Harlem. Start a church uh, in Detroit and in Chicago and, and other places like that. Are you following me? And right here in Oklahoma City, in every part of Oklahoma City, churches are needed because the gospel is needed. I love it. I love that he went right where people are. He got criticized for it, didn't he? He got criticized. He said even the Jews said, "Look, he's, he's sitting and eating with publicans. He's eating with the IRS. What kind of man would eat with the IRS?" crooked individuals Jesus what kind of man would would be around prostitutes and what kind of man would be around drunkards what kind of man would be around these sinners Jesus because he said I came because he he came not to those that didn't need a physician but those that needed a physician he came to those that he said that needed not repentance although all men need to repent he said I came to those that need repentance went right to the unreached why because they were walking and sitting in darkness the the idea i maybe you're a better bible reader than i am i've read over so much of this and it not really hit me but it was pointed out, these were sitting in darkness and they were sitting in the shadow of death. Sitting, sitting. That means, that means this, they were dwelling there. It's all they knew, but they're ungodly friends. <laughs> he didn't know any truth, he didn't know any truth, he didn't know any truth, he, didn't know any truth. he, didn't know, he was in some kind of a rock band. They were saying things like, y'all, truth is the same. Whatever you believe, just whatever you want to believe, that'll get you there, I think. Hey, what are you doing? I mean, they were just, what are you doing tonight? Partying, living it up, eat, drink, be merry. Tomorrow we die. Oh, what a way to live, right? Get the most out of life as you can. I mean, you only go around once. If it feel good, do it. our time. It's our time. It's our day. This suddenly started sounding rather modern. They were sitting in darkness. They didn't understand. They were sitting in darkness. They, they, yeah, I mean, they were living it up and they were, they were drinking it up. They were worshiping and having sexual encounters and I mean, everybody thought, oh, man, look at them there just living like that. I wonder if there's even some Jews down in, down in Judea said, man, I wish I could live like that, but I can't. Secretly wishing they could. Like all the restraints were off. They could just live wildly. What a way to live, but I can't. I'm a Jew. So they did it secretly. Same thing. You following me? Here they were living it up. And so on one hand, they were sitting in darkness. They they did not know God. They did not know truth. And they were living like it. Can you imagine that, though? It just makes sense that people that don't know God and don't know truth, that that's probably how they live. It is. Without light. But all the time also, in addition to that, there's this shadow. I see them now having a great time. But then there's this shadow that comes over them. Shadow. What, what is this? My shadow right now from the lights? Casting a shadow over Brother Ted a little bit. you got a bright light. You have something impeding that light. It casts a shadow. And that shadow is a reminder. It's like a constant reminder. What was it? It says it in our text. They were sitting there. They were living there in the shadow of death. In other words, they understood. They were painfully and often reminded... Someday I'm going to die. never mind. Party on. Lighting candles. Sacrificing children. Doing all they can, but having no clue where they're going after they die. But knowing someday I'm going to die. I don't like to think about it. I don't, and think about the the man down the road that died, or the woman that they knew, or the family that they knew that 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 that, that accident happened and they died, and then that person got that dreadful disease and they died, and, and it's like a shadow that's constantly over them and they can't get away from it. Everywhere they go, there's a shadow. That same shadow still casts today. A year ago, Kobe Bryant died. One of the elite basketball players of all time. And others. Hank Aaron. Hammering Hank Aaron. Man, I love Hank Aaron. Sorry. All these sports references, including Charles Barkley. I mean, he's a man of power and, I mean, just cranking it out and hitting home run after home run. And, but they died. I mean, who has moves like Kobe? But he died. He died. That's a shadow. And they'll mention it, but they don't want to talk about it long because it's a shadow. That's a constant reminder. My life's coming to an end. My life's coming to an end. My life is coming to an end. What do I do? My life is coming to an end. That's darkness. That's the fear of the shadow of death. I thank God that that our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, planted His church right in the midst of all that darkness and all that wickedness, and He loved people just like we ought to love people. And he came and he did not coddle them. He he did not accommodate their sin. He did not say, well, I'm starting my kingdom and you're living really wicked, but that's okay. Just come on in. That's not what he did. That's not what he did. That's not what he does. He does the same thing now that he did then and he preaches this message. Repent. You're not fit for the kingdom, but I want you in the kingdom. Are you listening to me here this morning? You're not fit. You're sinful, Jesus said. Your major problem is not economics. Your problem is not social injustice. Your problem, now it's gonna manifest itself in economics and it'll manifest itself in racial tension. And and he's saying your major problem is not a deviant form of sexuality, though that is a problem. He's saying this, your major problem that is showing up here and here and here and in all the other realms of life is this. It's a sin problem. It is a nature problem. And you, sir, you, ma'am, my, Must repent because you're not fit for my kingdom, but I want you in my kingdom. And thus you need to change the way that you're thinking, come to terms with who you are, that you are a sinner in need of a savior and you are going this way, but you need to repent, turn to him, place faith in him and thus be born. I said born from above, born again into his kingdom, never again to be dismissed. That's what he came to do. And when he he preached that, and when he lived like he did, it's like light was shining, and sometimes they didn't like the light because he was so bright, because he was so holy and righteous. They didn't like it, but they needed it. And so he shined unto them, and he preached unto them that message of repentance, and that's how light pierced through the darkness. How do we get the light back today? There needs to be some Christ like people. Amen. Yes. Full of boldness, full of compassion, that will not back down on sin, but will not be hateful to a sinner. Right. Right. You following me. That perfect balance, he, the Bible says, mercy. he was full of grace and truth equally. Amen. Grace says he loves sinners and would forgive any sinner of any sin. I'm saying that to you today on, in his stead. I'm saying to you that he wants to reconcile you to himself no matter who you are and what you've done. He loves you. But he's also full of truth and he will not back down from what is right perfectly balanced between grace and truth. And he pierced the darkness and those that sat in darkness saw a great light so that a man like Peter trusted Christ as his savior and left his ways behind and began to follow him. And so did Andrew his brother and so did James and John and they got things right with God and started following him I'm telling you in Galilee of the Gentiles it kind of like it pictures what his mission was in the first place and overall that he came to save all the nations by the message of repentance so I'm saying to you today that the same darkness the same problem that they had then is the same problem that we have now because it is a sin problem and thus the only solution is repentance Not more money, not more legislation, not more medication, but this, salvation in Jesus Christ our Lord. Our family listened to the audio version of a book about a man born in Kenya whose father was an alcoholic, who brutally beat his mother, who woke up at age 11, I believe it was, his whole family had left him in his hut. Eleven years old, he was living on his own. Living on the street, begging in Kenya. Hoping somebody would give him his next meal. Charles Molly. Began to have a friend. He had a friend that invited him to a church service. And he, there he heard the gospel. And I don't remember all the details of that. But it at least began to get his attention that something could be different in his life. I don't know at what point he came to know Christ as Savior, but eventually he did Began to make something, we say, of his life. We know ultimately it's God who gives man the ability. He started working hard and applying himself, eventually owned taxi companies and buses and became literally a millionaire living in Kenya. Until one day, coming from a meeting, going to a meeting, he parked his BMW or whatever it was. And some street boys came and said, give us money, we'll watch your car. Give us money, we'll watch your car. He said, no. He went into the meeting, came back. His car was gone. Glass where they broke in and stole his car. He had to ride one of his own buses back to where he lived. Had another expensive car and drove to work that next day, but something was different. It Troubled him. He said, all I could see was the faces of those street boys, teenagers, glaring at me, their eyes empty. We could even say it today. They were in darkness. He spent four hours on the side of a road just wrestling with God about what he ought to do. Came back to his family gathering, sat down with a family, family of, I think it was eight children, Christian home, Christian church that they attended. He sat down and he said to them, I'm not going to work for money anymore. I'm going to sell everything. And methodically, he began to sell all of his businesses, all of his vehicles, liquidated everything, and started going down to the streets of Nairobi, Kenya. I forget the terminology, Brother Hainlon, you'll have to help me later, but oeeh. Kind of an uplifting, encouraging greeting. Oi! Probably not anywhere close to the Swahili he was using. It's the best I've got big smile, Oye. he's stooping down because there's a child sleeping under a bench alone in the dark. One by one, he began to take street children home. Three became 20. 20 became 600. 600 became 1,000. 1,000 became 12,000. Over the course of the years, incredible story. What was it? He went to where there was a need, saying, "Oi, you don't have to live like that. Oi, you don't have to stay there where you are. Somebody loves you. God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. Oi." God loves you. He loves you where you are in your darkness, but He doesn't want you to stay in that darkness. He invites you to His home, His eternal home. Jesus came as a light into the darkness. Who He was and His message began to change the darkness around Him. Folks, as believers, there's all kinds of people in the world rising up from athletes to politicians to teachers to, th- to, I think, many well-meaning people and some that have an agenda. Who are trying to get out their message of, here's how we do this. But unless it's the message of repentance, it won't deal with the greatest problem that man has. And that's the sin nature. And I'm saying to you today, the only way you can come out of darkness into his marvelous light is knowing who He is, hearing His message of repentance, and trusting Him as your Savior. I'll close with this. I went into the five-year-old department this morning before Sunday school. If you're having a low day, kind of dragging into church, and you need just to smile, stop by the five-year-old class, and you'll smile. One of the precious Atheist kids said to me, "Preacher, when are we gonna come up there and shake your hand again? (laughs) Talking about when the kids come up and shake hands. Saw little kids from the buses and kids from parents sitting together. Little Hispanic children white children, black children, all nationalities. It's like Oklahoma City of the Gentiles. All in one little, and yeah, he was upset because he took his seat. I watched it. I watched the worker very kindly explain things to him. He still wasn't very pleased with that. Look, there's only one race that's the human race. Amen. Amen. It's not a race problem there. Right. It. It's not an economic problem there. It's a sin problem. Yes. Yes. He needs to repent. <laughs> so, Brother Bruce is in there, and the five year olds preaching, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. <laughs> now, I'm not sure exactly it comes across like that, but they're learning God made me. I like sin more than I like God. I need a Savior. It's a basic message. And it still rings true to this day. Praise His holy name. Let's stand together here this morning. The light is still greater than the darkness. There's not enough darkness. There's not enough darkness to put out the light. Father in heaven, I thank you for everyone that's assembled here today. They are, because they know you, those that do, they are the true, genuine hope of our city and of our nation. And so is every other believer living in the land today. We could get mad and upset and frustrated. In many ways, there's good reason to be, but God, I pray you'd help us to move like Jesus did and to move right into the heart of the cities right into homes where there's no light, care about people. Whether they're living in Rivendell or whether they're living in a trailer park, dear God, the need is still the same. And I pray today, dear God, that for someone here that is sitting in darkness, that you, through your word and the loving, compassion and truth telling of our Savior, that you would reach out to them because you came to call sinners to repentance. We pray for your help now in this invitation in Jesus' name. With every head bowed and eyes closed, let me just ask, how many of you today could raise your hand and say, I came to Him by repentance. I knew I was a sinner and I came to Him and trusted Him as my Savior. Could you raise your hand to that? Yes, I know that. Oh, wonderful. And praise His holy name. You may put your hand down. How many of you right there that just raised your hand, you would say, Preacher, I needed that reminder today. I need to be more like Jesus in caring about the lost and the dark, dark world that I live in and being a light there. Would you raise your hand if that's you? Yes, indeed. God, help us. How about if God just mobilized us all to do just like Jesus did here, compassionately and boldly going with His message of repentance. Is there anyone here today that would raise your hand and say, Preacher, if I died today, I don't know for sure I'd go to heaven. But that shadow of death is casting itself across me. I'm thankful in the, in the psalm as David wrote, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no, evil for, fear no evil, for thou art with me. You see, you can trust Jesus as your Savior. and He'll be with you even when you face the very shadow of death. That reminder. You don't have to fear it. If there's someone here today, though, you'd say, pray for me, preacher. I don't know for sure I'd die and go to heaven, but I'm concerned about it. Would you raise your hand while I'm looking around this auditorium here this morning, if that's you? I don't know for sure, but I am concerned. I am concerned. Yes, God bless you, ma'am. I see your hand. Yes, thank you. Who else today? I'm going to wait just a moment. And I'm going to lead us in a little bit more prayer. And if today you uh, raise your hand, I'd invite you to find the closest stairs or aisle And to come to the front and people have a Bible here that can show you how to know for sure that the moment you die, you pass into God's presence, never to face the torment of hell. Father, I pray now as we have invitation, help those who ought to respond to do so in Jesus' name. Amen.